Relevant. Connected. Great conversation. The Rick and Suzanne Show. Catch them live weekdays 1 to 3 on CJAD 800. The, um, the day may be taking a bit of a toll on you, and it's gray. That doesn't help. It's kind of been rainy, and then politically it's stormy, to say the least. Uh, you've got a government, uh, you know, driving a wedge issue, trying to create a problem where there isn't a problem because they can't deal with what needs to be dealt with for all our good, that being the economy. And uh, Suzanne came in today, and I felt the same way. I, I said to Sarah before I got air today at noon, uh, where we, we talk about the issues on free-for-all and debate the issues and take your calls and your reaction to what the uh, Charter of Quebec Values is all about, as we found out today. And uh, I got a little, you know, you get you get down, you do. And then you come in and express the same thing. And yet at the same time, we have to, I think, remind ourselves, Suzanne, that this is a minority government. And I don't think this thing is ever going to see the light of day. And I can only hope it's a distraction. I think we see it for what it is. I hope that the rest of the majority of the province does as well. And we move on. I, but I, do, I do see it as a distraction. But the fact is, is that these people came up with this. The they PQ. still sat down and decided, and when I look at those pictures, the pictures that the they pictograms. sent out, the pictograms <laughs> of what is acceptable and what's not. But the thing is, is that the work has been put into this. This is what they're thinking. This is what they're talking about. And basically, it's about garments. It's about garments. Now, those garments have symbols for the people that wear them, but they are garments. And... I, I I don't know where to go with this. And I, I said to, to Sarah, our producer, I said, Sarah, I know we're supposed to be talking about sleep habits and all this kind of stuff, but I need to transition into this. I need to just move this out of my soul somewhat because I find it so sad. And I thought, and I asked you earlier on, I said, is there any other country in the world outside of a communist nation where values are determined by the government? And you said, yes, you know, that we had the discussion about what happened in France and, mm -hmm. and how they are trying to do this. And I guess this is where uh, Marois got all this idea. But I'm like Russell Koopman. Why is this necessary? Why do we think there's an issue here? Why are we afraid to talk to people that wear things that might be different than what they wear on 7th Avenue in New York City? Who cares? A country that protects religious freedoms. And we have separation of church and state. I mean, and, 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 and let's face it. I mean, the church used to run this province. But it's, I'm so sad. And I don't know where to go with it. And you're right. It is a distraction. They're trying to keep us away from the serious issues that affect us, as in education, health, infrastructure. Uh, those are the three basics, and those are the only things, the economy, those are the only things we should be talking about, that they think they're going to lead up to an election based on this, getting people emotional. Because this province, let's face it, we are an emotional people. We react. And it's terrible that they abuse that nature, that they would attack that sensitive side of people. Uh, and that's, that's how I see it. They've got nothing else. They've got nothing else. And I think we need to keep hammering that home. Although I don't want to be sad because this is so wrong, it's not even worth you talking know, about. But yet we have to, to a certain extent. Well, exactly. And, and you know, the, reflecting, uh, you know, the topic or the story of the day, 
and what people are talking about and giving you an opportunity to uh, to talk about it as well is, is part of what we do. But I'd have to say that given that they want public reaction to this now and that they've opened up some of their websites and the government is, you know, is reachable via the web and at work, you know, like we have it open here. I've got a laptop. I've got three computers open Rick, in front of me. They're telling us that they're going to listen to every one of those messages. No. Do you buy that? No, no, no. You make it real simple for them. You just put in the subject field. You don't have to put anything else. Just send it to Marois, send it to any PQ minister. Go on their site during your break today. It's worth it. And just put in the subject field, it's the economy, stupid. <laughs> it's the economy, stupid. Send. That's all you have to do. And I hope that's what the opposition does. When they get back to work, that's what, that's what needs to be focused on. And they've got nothing yeah. And again, it's a minority government. And may so. I met, just mention this leaflet or this flyer that they're sending out that they're taking our tax dollars to do? Please, it's two million. They, don't they bother. Figured. Ignore my address. I don't want an explanation. I'm not interested in your explanation. I already see it. Send it back with the words, it's the economy, stupid. Stupid. There you go. That's just how I feel about it anyway. It's just. Yeah, but it is very pathetic. That, it is. That we, this has but got don't to let come it up. get to you. It does. Stand up, you know, you, we can't, you, know, like you don't said, just roll abusing, over on it. But. but they're abusing people's good nature. And I don't like that. Well, then I get really to, Are we taking calls on this? I guess we are. David, oh. you're on CJAD. Hi. I just want to say that probably Marowa is the most egotistical, wonder, unidirectional maniac that, that, that I've ever heard of. Right. She's, she's, she's basically... She's decided that this is the direction Quebec wants to go in against all common sense, against any laws that anyone, uh, you know, with a, who's logical or reasonable understands to be, you know, the actual laws. She's taking us back into the dark ages. The people that she's hurting the most are the people that are championing, championing her the most, the Pirlen Quebecois flag wavers who don't understand that she's doing exactly to them what the church used to do to Quebec. So back in the time, you, you referred, uh, the, you mentioned that the church used to basically control Quebec, which is true. Mm -hmm. But at that time, the church was the government. There was no difference. Right. Government was the church. So right now, there's no church. So the government is basically, it's a, it's a new religion called Quebecois. And they're imposing such crazy restrictions on the lives of the people that they suppose, they're supposed to basically represent. These French unilingual francophones who won't learn French until they're, who knows, if she, it's up to her, probably never, no. will be stuck in this province forever. They'll take the whole province down the tubes. It's the clearest writing on the wall that anyone can see. I hope, what I want to understand is, you know, I'm not going to do it myself because I don't have the time, but I might. I might actually stop working, stop taking care of my family, go to Ottawa and say, what, there's no one here, is there no federal... No, 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 David. And, and, that can send a cease and desist letter to, to Quebec and say, no, listen, you're still Yes, under there is. Yes, there is. And this is what's going to happen. And David, thank you for the call. Because you need it. We, we all need to be reminded. It's a minority government. They cannot get the support of the CAQ. And we'll find out from them before the afternoon is out what their reaction is going to be to this. So far, they've, they've poo-pooed most of it. The Liberals, the only thing they're okay with is a face covering for public services. We know that. They introduced a bill to say that. They can't go along with this. They've been pretty clear about them not. It isn't going to get done. There's no sense in moving. They don't have the will of the people yet. They're trying to see it, and there's been some sign in the last week or so that, in fact, people are going the other way. Some of the opinion leaders in the province and stuff have decided that this is 
crazy. So you can only hope. There's no sense giving up. You can feel bad about it, vent. But I think there's, there's still reason to have some hope. I don't think it's ever going to happen. And I can see by the looks of the lines that people are not finished expressing themselves on it. Today. Okay, so that's well, let let's do that because uh, you know you, we do have to get it out and we do have to to deal with this ridiculousness that has come down towards us today. And it's enough is enough. Let's hear from you five one four seven nine zero zero nine nine one five one four eight hundred to text and from your cell at Star Talk Star eight two five. And, uh, you know, it's uh, offsetting, to say the very least, uh, listening to the politics of the day as the PQ finally roll out, not all, uh, but most of what they see is the Quebec Charter of Values, pictograms included, some of them ridiculous, although I find I do, I, I want I want a ring with a Star of David on it. You know, I just, uh, it's crazy what's going on, and I hope that's what happens, that the ridicule that will come out of this where people start doing that just to just to go against the whole idea to show how stupid and crazy this is. As one texter says, I hear the whole world laughing because it does look ridiculous. Now, here's an interesting uh, uh, text from one of our listeners saying, God forbid if Ms. Marwan needed open heart surgery by Dr. Goldenberg, a top heart surgeon who wears a kippa. I'm sure at that point, since he saved her life, she would chastise him. Oh, and the nurse that works the ward? or that particular ward, happens to wear a hijab. Might make you think things through a little differently. Maybe, but again, it's the economy. It's the economy. Absolutely. It's the economy, another, and it just drives me nuts. Another texter, I've been saying this. That's what he's saying, or she's saying. I've been saying this since the beginning. It's never going to go through as is, so it's not worth getting all worked up over. It's hard not to be annoyed by it, but it is all smoke and mirrors. And we've all been saying that. This just throwing up this this uh, this red flag or this trial balloon just to get us totally off the track of the no. things that need to be dealt with in this province. I'll tell you, people reacting to it with the text box, as it did at noon, uh, over 100 texts, and, and it's growing now, even this afternoon. It's awful hard to keep up with it. And your calls, too. And clearly you want to vent. Jody, you're on CJAD. Hi, Rick, Suzanne. I think it's time we call it for what it is. First, it was... We're not allowed to speak English or any other language wherever we want. Now it's we have to wear and remove articles of clothing. I think it's high time that the people get frustrated with this, pull Marois down from her high horse of whatever, and try her for crimes against humanity. We've heard these arguments before in Germany in the 30s, and no, I do not think that that parallel is too harsh to say. Well, Jody, that's that's your opinion. Uh, she's not alone in her thinking. It's a party that's come forward with this. That party may disintegrate over some of this. I doubt it, though. Uh, we have seen people leave the party in the past. Uh, in fact, the head of the CAQ used to be a peakist. Well, you know what? If there's any reason to leave that party, this is it. Or, this or, is it. Or over the hey, economy. come on over. Come on over. <laughs> Open arms waiting for you. People of, you know... With basic human sense. Mark St. Leonard, you're on CJAD. Hi, guys. Hi, Suzanne. Hi there. Hey, look, at, I find this is the most hateful government ever elected in the provincial capital, okay? And I'll tell you what, Mr. Levike was not hateful like that. Mm. And if Mr. Levike was around today to see what's going on, or he's not here right now, he's probably turning in his grave. He'd, uh, he'd give a shrug of the shoulders, as he often did. Thanks, Mark. Yeah, and... Uh... I had a great conversation with that man after he put his book out, and we talked about how we grew up in separate, not separate's the wrong word, but different places, and yet, you know, I, I understood him, you know, and uh, 
you're right. I don't think I could even have that conversation with Pauline Marois. I've talked to her uh, and interviewed her at budgets about money. She just seems like you're not there. Oh, no. I don't feel connected to her in no. any way. I don't think she's no. connectable. I, there is something about her that I, was at I the, find it hard to connect to. I was at the opening of a school, an English school, when she was Minister of Education. Uh, it was the Forest Hill School out in St. Lazar. I was sitting next to her, and I was just staring at her. The nose never came down. The smile was plastered on, no teeth, just the, mm, Like she wasn't there. No, and and just, you know, hands crossed and whatever. I wanted to put a pin to see if it, you know, burst, moved. I'm not sure what. (laughs) What are you saying? Uh, David, you're on CJAD. David. Yes, is that me? David, come back to the phone, David. That would be you, It's not like you're walking away there. Sorry about that. (laughs) I I just looked at the pictogram, and I just couldn't believe what I saw. I I was actually in shock. It basically reminded me of Nazi Germany. I mean, they're attacking people's religion, and the only religion that they're accepting is, uh, you know, according to the Quebec values, is their own. And to me, this is racism to the utmost degree, and I don't understand how the world is going to accept this. This is well, unacceptable. We're going to see a lot of reaction from the world. As, uh, it's, it's, and I've been watching, uh, like, the CBS uh, site and places like that, still in their international news sections. Uh, but it's, uh, it's interesting. It's going to be a, a day or two now where we're going to see that kind of reaction. And we're going to get reaction coming up with CJAD News from the opposition parties here in Quebec. Uh, Any time now, uh, around 1.30 or so, uh, they have uh, they have decided that they will have their press conferences and they will speak to this, and I can't wait to hear what they have to say. Then we'll know about how far this is ever going to go with this minority government that needs to pay much more attention to the economy, right? Right? Yes! <laughs> I'm thinking of... Don't let uh, it get to you! No! Okay! I'm with you, Rick. All right. All right. McDonald's are... Uh, here's a complete departure. Yes. McDonald's are trying let's, something new. Let's talk about things that are important now. Yes. McDonald's. McDonald's are All trying right. something new. This is the Rick and Suzanne Show podcast. Hear Rick and Suzanne live. Weekdays 1 to 3 on CJAD That's 800. Uh, just uh, moving on from politics and getting ready to have a great time. And when it comes to uh, getting away from things, turning on the TV, even if if it's reality TV, sometimes even better. You know, you think Duck Dynasty, and I know Suzanne does. I do. She's a I fan. love my Duck <laughs> Makes Dynasty. Makes her laugh out loud. The fabulous Beekman boys. Yeah, but I'll find it. There they are. They're already fighting. <laughs> Josh Kilmer Purcell and Brent Ridge, married, former Amazing Race contestants, now business partners in a tourism and food venture called... The Beekman 1802 Farm in Sharon Springs, New York. Join us. Hi there, Josh. Hi, how are you? I'm good. Brent, are you there too? I am here too. Okay, you know, I I don't know why I want to start humming the song Green Acres, but (laughs) it it might have something to do with the fact that, Josh, you were a high-line ad executive. Brent, you're a doctor. I won't say you were a doctor, but you are a doctor. Then you left all these high-flying positions. You even were working with Martha Stewart, and you got out of the city and said, that's it, we're going to the country, we're going to live a rural lifestyle, sustaining, and you guys are now turned into an industry. I know. (laughs) What were were we thinking? And now international, all the way up to Canada. That's very exciting. So, Josh, why don't you explain to us what the television show is all about? 
Well, the television show um, is gr- was just a really great time in our lives, and it followed us as we were making that switch up to the farm and up to New York. And what happened was both Brent and I lost our big, high-power jobs in the city in 2008, and uh, like a lot of people. And so we had this farm in upstate New York. We, are, we already bought it, and we were like, we need to make this pay for itself. So we became overnight accidental goat farmers. And the show follows us as we're learning how to farm and all the mistakes we make and growing the business and meeting our, our neighboring villagers. Um, and it's a, it's a great it's, – it's very funny and, you know, watches us make mistakes, but it's also a great – show of what how a small village can band together and work together and make great things happen boy that's so nice to hear these days especially here right now brent where where is sharon springs new york is it near malone is it in the where is it oh it's much further south from malone though we do have one employee from malone um it's near cooperstown new york oh okay um so about three and a half hours outside of new york city and probably about a six to seven hour drive from toronto all right and brent what kind of farm is it uh, we're primarily a goat dairy. We have 120 goats, and so we make beauty products and food products using the goat milk. Um, but we also raise um, or grow about 80% of all the food that we personally consume. So we raise about 110 different varieties of vegetables. We raise pigs and you're going and cows, to see turkeys and chickens. Sorry, Baron, I'm going to interrupt, but you're going to see on the first <laughs> episode you're going to meet a, uh, our llama, Polkaspot, who... <laughs> is not your ordinary average llama. And in the very first episode of the show, you're going to see why she became a diva, and now she has more Facebook followers than we do. <laughs> yeah, she's, a, she's the real star of the show. <laughs> but, Josh, okay, how big is Sharon Springs? How many people? We are 547 people strong. So you have turned, you you know, you guys rolling into this town, you know, trying to, you know, now make your goat farm uh, support you. How does the rest of the, the your neighbors, because of 500 people, you must know everybody. How are they involved in this mix? Or are they? Well, this is, that's just what's so great about the show. And it will show you meeting our neighbors and, and bringing the community, community together. Because we went up there and they taught us how to farm. And we really taught them how to be marketers and sell their goods. And we had all these connections down in New York City. So we were meeting these wonderful blacksmiths and weavers and food producers, and we would help them package their goods and introduce them to our friends in New York City and create a, a big, bigger business for all of us. And that's, to me, that's the really sweet part of the show is showing how everybody can work together and create this business. You know, and, and Brent, you're a former physician. Do you still practice? I don't. I, uh, I practiced for several years in the city, and then I went back to business school, and after business school, I went to work at Martha Stewart. And um, so I, I'm on my third career now. Goat farming is my third career. <laughs> how, how did you guys find this farm? Josh? We were literally driving around in upstate New York. We were those obnoxious New York people that, that put on plaid shirts and rent a car and, and go bug all the people upstate. <laughs> And uh, that's what we were doing one weekend, and we got lost in this little town called Sharon Springs. And we found this farm and fell in love with it. Oh, wait a minute. Uh, I'll go to Brand on this one first. Just so you're city folk rolling into the, uh, you know, the rural area. You're married rolling into the rural area. There had to be some conflict. Well, we weren't even married then. We were living in sin because it wasn't, it wasn't <laughs> legal. It wasn't legal until just recently in New York State. Right. And... Uh, and, you know, we, you know, we came in and, um, you know, actually we were very well accepted. And I think the reason that we were so accepted in the community is that we um, came in and asked everyone for help. 
Uh, and people, I don't care what profession you're in, what walk of life uh, you're in, you always want to feel that you know something so well that you have the ability to teach it to someone. And so we really were novices at everything that came, you know, when it came to farming, and we really had to ask our neighbors for help, and I think that they really appreciated the fact that we turned to them as experts, and they, they truly are, and that's how we assimilated into the community. Cool. I mean, here, Josh and Brent, you guys were, were partners on The Amazing Race. Uh, you did get married this summer. Did you get married at the mm-hmm. farm? We sure did, right yep. on the top of a hill overlooking the entire farm. And who put on the party? Did you guys put on the party, or did you have it catered? Nope. What we did was instead of gifts, we had about 300 people to the wedding, and instead of gifts, we asked everyone to bring their own heirloom recipe from their family. So we had a long table set up through the field, and everyone put their heirloom dishes and recipes on it, and then we just had a big communal dinner, picnic, and all of our guests got a beautiful hand-woven picnic blanket uh, to use and to take home with them. And uh, it was just a really beautiful uh, country event. Oh, that sounds so nice. And people are going to see on one of the one of the episodes of the show. We have a we have these big sort of village dinners, you know, quite frequently. And uh, so one of the episodes has everybody bringing their favorite dish. Josh Kilmer Purcell, Brent Ridge, um, the Amazing Race. You might remember them from that Beekman eighteen oh two farm in Sharon Springs, New York, is what this new TV show is all about. Can people stay at at the Beekman? Uh, we don't have guests at the Beekman, but there are, you know, very, you know, quite a few little bed and breakfasts and hotels right in the village. And so when people come to visit, they can stay right there and uh, visit our shop, which is right on Main Street. And uh, Josh and I are almost always there on the weekends. And uh, we're actually going to be in Toronto on October 1st, uh, signing copies of our new cookbook, Heirloom Desserts. And um, you got to talk to your publicist. This happens all the time. I'm going to set you straight, Josh and Brent, on this one. Publicists overlook Montreal when it comes to English books for some reason too often. You need to come here, especially if you're going to talk about food, because this gentleman is the food capital of this great nation. Well, I'm going to really get on that. You know, we, we've, ha- we've had chefs that have completely changed their itinerary to make sure that they do stop by. They have to tell their publicists. So you I'm tell your tell, publisher we, and we your pu- Because I, I love Montreal, and, and any excuse we can get to get up there, we're coming. All right. <laughs> Absolutely. So, so what are we going to see on, on the premiere tonight? So the premiere tonight, as Josh said, you're going to see how Pocahontas the Llama becomes the breakout star. <laughs> and, uh, what is and, it about it really- this llama? Well, you know what? She, um, you know, well, I don't want to give away too much from what happens in the episode, but okay. let me just tell you that she loves the camera, uh-huh. and, uh, uh, and she loves to put on a show for the camera. And she's and... a bit of a drama queen. <laughs> and uh, Oh, and you're also going to see us on our first four-way, foray into pigs, raising pigs. And uh, let me tell you, pigs are slippery. That's all I'm going to say. Okay. okay so <laughs> And fast. So it, 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 you guys are mainly involved in livestock. Are you doing any actual, uh, you know, growing, planting, crops, things oh, like yeah. that? Yeah, we have a huge garden, and uh, we, we raise almost everything we eat ourselves. Um, but w- what we also do is we work with other growers and producers in the area to uh, take their goods and, and find new recipes and package them and, and sell them in stores across the country. I just love it. You've gone through foreclosure. You've gone through hell, basically. You've had some fun on TV, big career changes. You boldly take this new uh, step, and you've got a community backing you up. This is a great story. It is. Well, it is, and I tell you, that's why we did so well on The Amazing Race is because we knew about endurance. 
Mm. You know, we had been to the bottom before, and we knew how to climb our way back back to the top. And um, you know, I think that's something that you know everybody, a lesson everyone can learn from. You just have to hang in there. All right. Very cool. Wonderful. It's called The Fabulous Beekman Boys, and it's on television starting tonight. Uh, it is on the uh, Cottage Life channel. That's and of, new, by the way. That Which is new, and you can get it. On, we have it here on Bell, Teleshaw, Videotron, Kojiko. We can all see it. It starts at 10 o'clock tonight. Josh Kilmer, Purcell, and Brent Ridge. They are The Fabulous Beekman Boys. This is the Rick and Suzanne Show podcast. Hear Rick and Suzanne live weekdays 1 to 3 on CJAD 800. And what's happening? What's with Cheryl Crow? Okay, Cheryl Crow, uh, she's in a twist because she, like a lot of musicians, you need to get back from your audience when you give out. We, we all know that. You cheer for them. You, you bring them on. You root for them. Comedians will tell you this. Anybody up in front of an audience, they feed off of it. Yes. Well, there's not so much eating going on anymore because a lot of people stand there with their their smartphones on, Mm -hmm. worried about getting pictures and sharing them on social media. I'm here, I'm at the concert, and others that, you know, videotape the whole thing or record it on their phones because they can, or great segments of it, and they're lost to her because she's looking out and she can't see the face even behind, you know, the phone. The phones. Or the iPad in a lot of cases. just I saw this, we saw... Tragically Hip out in Saskatoon over the summer. I couldn't get over. You know when you see these movies where everybody holds up a sign in a stadium and it changes color or whatever? Yes. Well, the people holding up these iPads, and I thought, well, that's not very cool. The band can't even see your face. This has got to be having some kind of an effect. And But the thing is... The quality of the recording sucks, quite frankly. I mean, you're not going to, you can't get close enough. You can't. Right. And if you bring in a camera that can deal with it. Well, some of them have pretty good audio capabilities now. Some of them. Mm. But it's what it does to the performer that she's worried about. It's not not so much about um, the fact that it's copyrighted. She doesn't care about that. She's happy as long as you buy her records and stuff. You've bought a ticket, so she doesn't mind that you're recording it. So, you you know, fill your boots. But know that it's taken away from my performance because I don't feel like you're here. But you know what? It's also taking away from the person, the concert goer's pleasure because they're so busy trying to make sure that they are recording this that they're not just sitting back and enjoying the show. Right. They're working. Never mind sitting behind somebody with the iPad up in front of them, you know, because you got to see past one, two, ten, fifty of those. So listen to this because she let a cat out of the bag. She's brilliant. She is brilliant, and here's here's Cheryl Crow on the set issue. Oh, my gosh. It, it's commonplace now. And, and we've been re- working on some technology now where, I, mean, I don't know if I can say this, but I'm going to say it anyway. Um, it's discouraging to see people not having the experience. You know, they're, they're somewhere else trying to, like, capture it. So I don't know what they do with it. Do they watch it later? Do they just upload it? Do they tweet it to their friends? But they're, nobody's really present anymore. So we're working on a technology where you can scan your phone on your way out and leave with the entire concert on your phone, the, the concert that you just saw. And I'm going to encourage people to put their phones away so that, you know, look, when you leave here, scan your phone on the way out and you'll have the whole show. And But be present. Be in the room. Experience it with everybody else. That's part of what music is about. But, yeah, I, I experience it every day, every night. It's it's a bummer. What a great solution, huh? That's brilliant. So you can go to the show, put your phone away, enjoy Cheryl Crow, uh-huh. and then just take out your smartphone on the way out, scan it, beep, beep. Yeah. And you've got the whole concert on your phone. Thank you. Yeah, and I don't think it's going to slow you down. You're thinking, oh, i got to go scan that on the way out. I think what they're going to do is put those big codes up on the screens. 
the QR code at the end of the show. Yeah. Thank you, John. Uh, the QR code is going to be up on the screens. And uh, basically, you just hold up your smartphone to that. Click, bang. You've got your link. You've got your entire concert. Do with it what you will. You can get it in different formats, I'm sure, so it's not too heavy on wow. your phone. If you want the whole thing, you're more than welcome. Wow. Now, that is technology we can use. Yeah. Yeah. Be in the presence. Are now, also, solutions? can we add that to restaurants then? Do you think we can transfer that to restaurants so people will stop taking pictures of everything they're eating and tweeting it and actually sit there and enjoy the, the food and enjoy conversation? No. Oh. Yeah, they don't have that capability It was yet. a thought. Okay. Wishful thinking. This is the Rick and Suzanne Show podcast. Hear Rick and Suzanne live weekdays 1 to 3 on CJAD 800. Aging Dr. Mitch. Aging Dr. Mitch. Doctor, give me the news. I got a bad case loving you. It is, uh, well, it's time for Dr. Mitch Shulman, CJAD's health expert and, of course, uh, ER doctor, and we talk about health issues on a Tuesday. The doctor's here for a half hour, and then we have another doctor come in and try and heal our relationships. That's a story for after 2.30, though. Uh, our relationship with Dr. Mitch is fine. Everything's good. <laughs> it has been for years. Hi there, Dr. Mitch. Hi. <laughs> well, 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 let's start off with this e-cigarettes. You know, I've been seeing oh. these cigarettes, and, you know, people, some of them say that they have a vapor coming in. Some of them, it's a mist. And, and some of them have some nicotine. What is the story on e-cigarettes? So in the never-ending search to help people break their nicotine addiction and to help them stop smoking, which we know is bad for them, there have been many things that have come along. And I'm sure everyone listening out there is aware of the patches. But the patches just don't give people the buzz of nicotine or the levels or the oral fixation that they really need. So they came up with the e-cigarette. What it does is either by a vape, vapor or mist or some other mechanism, it creates a, uh, an inhaled form of nicotine that you can suck into your lungs, mimicking the mouth and hand action of a cigarette and giving you the nicotine hit. Um, and certainly it's quote-unquote safer than smoking, obviously, because you're not getting the tars and the other things that cause a problem. But the real question is, one, does it work? Two, does it work as well as the nicotine patch, which we know does help? And three, what are the long-term effects? So there's a beautiful study that was just presented at the European Respiratory Society meeting in Europe and also published in The Lancet, basically showing that if you use an e-cigarette and you compare it to an e-cigarette that gives you nothing, placebo, or to a patch, uh, the e-cigarette works as well as the patch and in fact may work even a little bit better in some cases and certainly both are better than placebo. So this proves that it works and it will help people stop smoking. There's a downside to this and I hate to be a, um, a bad news purveyor, but um, they found at the end of the study that people who were using the nicotine patches tended to stop smoking and stay off the nicotine patch. In other words, they used it as a uh, help to get off the cigarettes. They got off the cigarettes, they weaned themselves off the patch, and they moved forward with life. The people who were using the e-cigarettes, some of them who continued to smoke tended to smoke and use the e-cigarettes together, and those who had quit smoking continued to use the e-cigarettes. So now you have a situation where these people may be inhaling nicotine over long periods of time, and we don't know if there will necessarily be health consequences. So the next step is to figure out, one, if we can help people um, break the nicotine e-cigarette habit, which is obviously wow. safer than smoking, not even a question. And two, even if they can't, you know, maybe we just leave them. Look, heroin addiction we know is bad. We put people on methadone. They can be on methadone the rest of their life. 
right to control their addiction and their cravings, and they can become functional and useful members of society without any negative health risks. Maybe this will be the same thing. I can't tell you. We don't know yet. It's, it seems to me that if you're using the e-cigarette, what you're not the habit that you're not breaking is that oral yes. fixation that right. you have. And I mean, when I tried to stop smoking, I remember my pencil became my best friend. You smoked? Thank you. Or a straw or a carrot stick or something. Anyone who's ever smoked cigarettes for any period of time knows that the addiction isn't so much necessarily the nicotine buzz, but it's the fact that you smoke in certain social circumstances and it gives you something to do with your hands Mm -hmm. and your mouth and it it, you sort of it's a habit let's be blunt and it's a very pleasant habit for a lot of people and therefore it's a very tough habit to break so it's not just the craving of nicotine that's the problem it's the fact that you're doing something with your mouth and your hands um, that keep them from doing other potentially disastrous things. <laughs> no, but you know, when you think about it, when people try to stop smoking because they need to, to keep that, that hand moving, they tend to eat more, yeah. and that's where the weight comes on. It's not because they're more hungry. It's because now they have nothing to do with that hand. Yeah. Also, nicotine's a stimulant, huh? Yeah. And so what happens is, and I'm not encouraging people to use it in that respect at all. That's why I always find it fascinating when people say a, a smoke cool, calms them down. The actual effect of nicotine on your body is to hype you up and stimulate you. Part of the weight gain effect is exactly what you see, the need to do something with your hands and therefore the unrestricted access to food, which characterizes our society as a problem. But also, you no longer have the stimulating effect of the nicotine, and so that's a small contributor to the effect. All right. And, you know, I'll take your word for it, both of you, because it never made sense to me to set fire to anything and inhale it. And along that line, three people dead after smoking synthetic marijuana. Synthetic marijuana, first of all? It's so scary. It's unbelievable. What happens is there are whole sorts of compounds that are, we call them cannabinols. In other words, related to the active ingredient uh, uh, Delta 9 tetrahydrocannabinol, THC, that's in uh, marijuana, what we think is the active. So there's, and many of them have been manufactured. Not all of them until recently were controlled. So what they did was they put together some herbs, sprayed them with all sorts of nasty substances, including some of these compounds, and then said, oh, it's legal, you can now smoke it. Well, obviously, this is not cool, right? It has all sorts of potential. We don't know what's in them because people mix them up in different ways. Um, It's certainly not safe. Uh, There's been seizures, there's been deaths, there's been all sorts of things. But in certain states, and there was a really big problem in Denver and Colorado, specifically in Denver for some reason, there was a lot of this stuff out there, and it was being sold at convenience stores. It was being sold at the equivalent of day penners. Um, It was horrible. So the word of warning it's not safer. It's not, quote-unquote, organic. Herbal doesn't mean safe, right? Mushrooms can kill you, remember, and they're very natural. You can't get more natural or herbal than a mushroom, but the wrong mushroom can kill you. Um, so the same idea, these, quote-unquote, synthetic marijuanas are not safer at all and, in fact, may actually be more dangerous. Yeah, aren't they spraying them with pesticides or something? And that's what you're, you end up ingesting. Who knows? I remember one of my first rotations in respiratory medicine many, many years ago. We saw a kid whose lungs were completely whited out. That's not normal. In other words, destroyed. And he had smoked marijuana that had been sprayed by, I think it was Paraquat or something like that. Anyway, one of those pesticides uh, in an attempt to control the spread of it. And, you know, it was bought, it was sold. How does he know, right? It's not like this stuff is controlled in a lot of situations when you're buying it, depending on how you're buying it and why you're buying it. Um, And so, yeah, he destroyed his lungs. So, yes, there's a lot of dangerous ways of 
consuming illicit marijuana or synthetic marijuana. None of them are safe. None of them are controlled. None of them are anything I would ever recommend to anybody. Okay. Well, we're, we're, Dr. Mitch Shulman is with us, our medical expert. We're going to continue our conversation with Dr. Shulman in just a moment. Oh, at CJAD with Dr. Mitch Shulman, our health expert, on Tuesdays, uh, the entire half hour on health-related subjects. And this is an important day. It's World Suicide Prevention Day. And there's been an editorial in the Canadian Medical Association Journal talking about maternal suicide and how maybe it's time that doctors start to pay a little bit more attention uh, to what's going on with moms. Now, Dr. Mitch, I always believe that postpartum was uh, due to fluctuating out-of-control hormones and exhaustion because you're not sleeping. But as I always felt that as long as you were still functioning, I thought you were okay. But apparently, we need to take a closer look. Well, yeah. See, as long as and you hit the nail right on the head, as long as you're functioning, it's okay. But the moment you start creeping deeper and deeper and deeper into depression, less able to do things, less interest in doing things. See, postpartum depression should get better. If you do have it, you should get, you know, more and more and more energized by the baby and become better. You'll be tired, but still able to do things. If, however, you fall into certain groups, and we found that um, people who already have a history of depression, people who have very little support, um, all these groups are at increased risk. And instead of getting better in the weeks post-delivery, they get worse. And they get deeper and deeper into the, 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 the dark hole, um, don't have energy to do anything, barely have energy to get out of bed, have trouble taking care of the baby and maybe even of themselves. Now, it's good that we're talking about this. The problem is most doctors don't ask the right questions, and that's why the editorial in the CMAJ is so important. Um, my wife, who's a labor and delivery nurse and teaches uh, postpartum, uh, teaches um, uh, at, uh, and prenatal classes, um, always warns the, the moms and the dads about this type of thing. And it turns out that the nurses who are following in the antenatal center are usually the ones who pick up the signals that something is going to go wrong around the time of delivery without the doctors being aware of it. And as I said, my wife has shared numerous stories where she's kind of picked up on something, told the doctor about it, to say, listen, I'm really worried this person at delivery is at increased risk because, and the doctor has said, gee, I didn't realize that. Hmm. So I think there's a role that all of us have to play, nurses, uh, family members, to be on the lookout for these things to help these people uh, and to make certain that the resources are there to help them through this difficult time because you can't do something it's not like you have to throw up your hands in and uh, in, in, in say there's nothing we can do uh, there are medications that are safe and you don't always even need medications um, sometimes just knowing that there's support and someone to turn to hmm. can make all the difference and that's why there was a beautiful companion study that looked at uh, the incidence of postpartum depression compared large cities to small communities right. and they found that you are most likely to find depressed women post delivery in big cities well, that was a function of, why are you in the big city? Oftentimes, it's you've moved. Oftentimes, you're an immigrant. Oftentimes, you're living under more difficult uh, financial situation. And so you have single mothers. You have immigrant families. And you're isolated. Support. And so you see a high incidence, or relatively high incidence, of postpartum depression in those circumstances. Again, highlighting the fact that we need to make the resources available, that we need to be on the alert and that everyone has a role to play in helping these people. Mm. Dr. Mitch, a new study of American breast cancer deaths shows more deaths are occurring with younger, unscreened women. Yeah, this is, 
you may remember that the recommendations came out a while back not to do mammograms on women below the age of 50 in the States. That's certainly not being done in Canada necessarily, but certainly in the States. And the reason for that was they were afraid that what they were doing is they're just scanning too many women. There's a risk from the scanning itself, very small of cancer because of the radiation. But even more importantly, they were finding things that weren't real and putting these women through all sorts of unnecessary tests and procedures with all their own complications and risks. They said, you know what, let's just stop it. Well, now comes another study, beautiful study done out of um, Harvard and other places, basically saying, you know what, wait a minute. Let's not throw the baby out with the bathwater. Mammograms do need to be done, perhaps in women younger than the age of 50, who have denser breasts, who have a family history of breast cancer. And so now they're trying to tweak the guidelines in the states to say, you know what, maybe we don't have to scan everyone at the age of 40, but if you're a woman who has a denser breast or if you have a positive family history, Maybe we should be scanning you on a regular basis. And this is exactly what you'd expect. Huh? People look at this thing, oh, doctors don't know what they're talking about. First they say one thing, then they, don't say the, then they say something completely different. What you're actually seeing is as we get better, as we learn more, we can become much more nuanced in what we do, much more subtle and much more sophisticated. So instead of painting everyone with the same brush, teaching everyone the same way, we can start personalizing our management based on your specific family history, your physical characteristics, and that makes for much better medicine, much better guidelines, much better recommendations, and therefore much better outcomes for people. All right. I just, uh, we don't have a lot of time, unfortunately, but I did want to ask about the smaller the family jewels, the better the dad. <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to get the connection find Scientific fact, uh, true or false? Oh, God. This is a study that claims that guys with smaller testicles were more likely to be better fathers. In other yeah. words, not to disappear and to be more engaged with the development of their children. Certainly the study seems to show that. And there's all sorts of interesting connotations and all of that. But yes, don't forget, high testosterone levels, and that's what they're measuring, huh? Right. The size of the testicle might directly be correlated with the amount of um, testosterone being measured. High testosterone leveled guys may be more likely to be guys, um, aggressive, not hang around, do all sorts of nasty, inappropriate, not really good guy things. And so what they're arguing is, now, what they can't tell you is, were these guys' testicles large and they shrunk as a result of marriage and family and children, or did they start off that way? And to be honest with you, that's the interesting question. What? (laughs) Well, think about it. Clearly more research needs to be done. (laughs) Just think about what we're saying here, right? Um, I'm sure guys, when they go out to drink, have made the comments about how certain guys kind of lose their hums um, when they get married. What? <laughs> oh, come Where on, is that scientifically here? based? Well, I don't know, but that's the whole point. You have come to start on, asking Mitch. yourself now, is part of what this study's showing, is it the result of marriage in the right circumstance? You have your kids, and therefore you become a better parent because of this change, those of us who are able to do that change? Or do you start off with smaller ums and therefore become a and are therefore a better parent and they can't tell you that yet they can't tell you that and that'll be the interesting next part of this study all right as shady texts omg i must be a terrible father <laughs> i'm not we'll, going there we'll, we'll leave it right there dr mitch thank you <laughs> thanks dr mitch shulman here every <laughs> tuesday afternoon at two o'clock on rick and suzanne are this is the rick and suzanne show podcast here rick and suzanne really live weekdays one to three on cjad 800 the doctors are in on Tuesdays, and Dr. Lori Batido, who uh, looks after relationships.
as a counselor and a uh, well, she's a doctor, damn it. And uh, and Doctor uh, Suzanne, here's a doctor, damn it. Yes, a, you're a doctor, damn it. That's right. And she, the visual I, I'm trying to paint is uh, one of Suzanne in a very happy place mm-hmm. over the weekend, dancing up a storm. Mm. Uh, even if it looked, what did you describe it as? The dance scene from from Hitch at the end. Yes, <laughs> where they're just kind of going down between the aisles of people and just dancing away. There's the that visual. Was us. Good. Because she was out celebrating with a couple who were celebrating their 25th wedding anniversary. Beautiful. Yeah. Pretty special, isn't it? And is it rare? Uh, it's getting, yes, yeah. statistically, as the years go on, uh, you know, greater chance, less chance of survival the more you are together, the longer you are together. I mean, the statistics are just that, right? It's, I don't have the exact ones in my in my head at this point, um, but as you know, couples who are the average age is uh, or length of a relationship right now is only around six seven years. If they're going to wow. divorce, they divorce early, and then you have you know a certain number that make it to fifteen years, and another number that make it to twenty years and twenty five years. But a lot of couples do divorce within those first seven years. Because especially, you know, I mean, they're my age, right? They got married very young. Uh, so to have already accomplished that 25th anniversary, I find it quite something. I mean, they, they, I mean they're an amazing couple. Happy anniversary. To, it's actually today to Val and oh, Danny. Okay. So happy 25th. That's wonderful. Yes. And um, have pictures it, of them being happy from the word go, right? Unbelievable. They showed photographs uh, at the party. And it, it was always the two of them sitting together or close together, his arm always around her. Uh, you know, the, the smiles, the, the looks, the caring, you can see it in every photograph. And there were hundreds of them. Hmm. And uh, it was just one of the things. Now, they've been through a lot together. Well, they, that's exactly. I was just going to yeah. say, there is no couple that is perfect and no couple that hasn't had their challenges to overcome. Yeah, he was very ill. At one point, and uh, in fact, I believe Danny was like one of the first people to receive a stem cell transplant oh, in wow. Quebec. Yeah, wow. and uh, since then, they don't have any children, mm-hmm. but they have common interests of travel, and uh, and and being with friends and celebrating life. Since they went through that, uh, celebrating life has been a big part of everything they do and giving right. back to community. They're very, very community involved as well, well. So far what I've picked up on here, Suzanne, is that they have very similar values. And because of this similarity in values and what they value in life, it ha- that helps an awful lot. That will you know, make a couple's success a whole lot more, succeed a whole lot more than couples who don't value the same things. Well, I, I just uh, just thinking also, we then we have somebody like Katie Couric. It's in the news yeah. right now. 56 years old. She's getting married again. Now, she lost her husband, and this was a happy marriage mm-hmm. by all accounts. She lost her husband suddenly, if everybody remembers, 15 or so years ago 15. to colon How cancer. How old was she? She was, must have been like 30 when she lost her husband. Yeah. Sounds about right. He yeah. was in the wow. yeah, early 40s, wow. early 40s. Mm-hmm. And, and that was a happy marriage. And she adored him by all accounts. Now, she has, these many years later, discovered love again, deciding to get married. And I'm looking at this, and I'm wondering, how do you transition? Now, she loves this guy, and he loves her. There's no question about that. But I'm, I'm wondering in my mind, how do you transition that you've had that great marriage, now you're going to have a new marriage, mm-hmm. but... Do you you have to leave the old one behind, don't you, and start a new? Or how do you make that transition? 
first of all, you have to believe in love and marriage, and clearly she did. So it's easier to transition when you've had a good marriage to begin with. She lost her husband, so it wasn't a divorce. It wasn't a bad experience. I mean, it was tragic, but it wasn't a, a bad marriage that had to end. So the she doesn't have bitter feelings about marriage, and she believes in love. So I think that's an easier transition to make, and it has been 15 years. People do. You never forget, and you never you always love who you've loved. That doesn't go away, but it doesn't mean you, you can't open your heart to some someone else to love. Uh, that I understand. I, I guess my question is more, are you going to go into the second marriage expecting a marriage like the first one? No two relationships are the same, but you should expect to have a healthy relationship. If your initial relationship was healthy, you should absolutely have expectations that your next marriage should be healthy and you should know what to look for. The mutual respect that you had, the love, the caring, uh, the communication, you should absolutely expect that to be there. I got a text, too, while you were having this conversation that said, OMG, a lot of OMG today. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's a fight back at the uh, secularism that we're hearing about. Anyway, I feel like I've accomplished something major with my husband, the texter says. We met when I was 16. I'm almost 37 now. We're still together. Just hit our 10-year wedding anniversary. Go us. Yeah, go yeah. you. Absolutely. And it is, it's a touch harder to make it work from when, you're, when you've been together from a very young age because there you evolve a lot. You mm. change a lot. And the chances sometimes of changing into different directions is greater because at 16 you may not have your values and your direction set in, set so um you know set in stone so to speak so they're still evolving they're still changing as people as people you haven't you don't really reach maturity until your 20s really yeah, and then do. some <laughs> then some yeah <laughs> some more than others yeah. <sighs> I mean, we do, it is wonderful when we see couples that last a long time and see, and you ask them their secrets and they will tell you that it has not always been easy, that it has been rough, but that you go, you have to go through the rough patches and sometimes the rough patches last quite a bit of time and it's about communicating uh, and making it stronger because of those challenges. Yeah, I don't think I've ever, storms don't last very long. You know, they, they're they like, they come and they go. Well, storms are good because they can replay, they can kind of readjust everything. Exactly. Right? It gets out, you know, it's out there. And, and you then deal you with resolve it. it. You have if, to resolve it, though. That's the thing. <laughs> if if you deal with it, a lot of people, when those storms come up, d- tend to just run away. Hide it. That's right. That's or, right. or push it down and not deal with it. And that's where you that's know, the, the problems problem. always start. Exactly. That is exactly the problem. How do you develop, how do you, how do you get those things out of you without being angry, without, I, mean, I guess this is the trick, right? Uh, you know, when you have something that is just deep, how do you find the way to share that with your partner and not have them feel threatened with whatever you're saying and and help you as a friend. I don't know. I just... There's, these are really, really big questions, Suzanne. <laughs> and if That's I had, re- if I really more. had the answers, <laughs> think uh, I'd be writing a different kind of book. Um, but you know, it's all about being able to communicate. I find this is what I find too I many people. 
Well, but I find too many people also sugarcoat and skirt around issues. Or and, run away. Just plain or run, run away, away or avoid because, and, and for good reason, sometimes they just don't want to hurt their partner. And I get that. You, nobody wants to hurt their partner. However, that also means that the truth is never out there. And if the truth is not out there, it can never be truly addressed. Listen to these texts, too. My parents are going to celebrate their 65th anniversary next month. They are still very much in love. I'm truly blessed, said Pauline. Another said, I married my best friend, literally, best thing I ever did. It's true uh, what they say. Women and men can't just be friends. Uh, so they they did something more about it. And it's been 10 years that I'm with my husband. I love him more today than ever. I truly believe that having the same background and beliefs uh, helps tremendously. There is no discussion it is just. Uh, it just is. It yeah, just and is. that's for the value system. That there. person is absolutely right. The value system has to be very similar. Right. Yeah. But I'm looking at this, and it says, you know, my parents will celebrate their 65th anniversary next month. Now that's incredible. Yeah. That's but amazing. that also, 65 years ago, the way we viewed marriage then and the way we view it now has evolved. We'll talk yes. about that a little bit more with Dr. Lori Petito as we continue in just a moment uh, talking about your relationship. It just oh, how, it. don't diss somebody that studied well, I, the clarinet I'm, for all those years. I know. You know oh, chacun son goût, eh, as they say. Yeah, to each their own, right? That's right. Okay. <laughs> we were talking about marriage. Dr. Lori Batito, our host of Passions every uh, weeknight here on CJD at 10 o'clock. She joins us every Tuesday afternoon to talk about uh, our relationships. And just before we went to the break, we were talking about the difference between marriage today and marriage, what it was maybe. Uh, we've got a couple that's celebrating their 65th wedding anniversary. And is it because people back then were willing to put up with more hmm. or now today we're willing or not as willing to put up with as much? Well, you That uh, weddings, do, that marriages don't seem yeah, to last. There's a bit of that. Uh, I think You'd that... Be shunned. But what's that? You'd be shunned 100 years ago. You, there's, for women, it was... In, uh, it was impossible, impossible to get out of a marriage. There's that, uh, but it's not just that. I think that marriage was different back then. I think the expectations were a lot clearer as to what, what, what was marriage, what was expected of each partner. Somehow it was just simpler in that way. And it worked as a team in a different, you know, the expect everybody's work, everybody knew what they had to do. So, and now today it's very different because roles are not so clear and um no they've changed they're well, just more varied well they've changed but a woman's role for example has uh grown to include much more than it once was but it doesn't mean that she also isn't she's busier than she's ever been i think a woman today and maybe gets more dissatisfied today. If you look at the statistics of over 80% of divorces are initiated by women, so there's got to be something happening here mm. that, uh, you know, women get dissatisfied. Is it that, I know speaking to women is they try and they try and they try to get their needs met and they try to say what's wrong and they try to talk about what they need and what they want, but it doesn't seem to change. And well, so they eventually just kind of say, I'm done trying, and so now I have to just do what I have to do. Well, know? let me ask you this. Has, has women's expectations of a marriage changed and a man's has not? It's possible. It has. It ha Yes, I, I would say yes, that 
not that men haven't changed. I don't think men are still thinking, well, you know, a woman is her place is in the home. Like, no, mm-hmm. I don't think guys think that way at all. However, I do think that women's expectations have increased tremendously, and rightfully so in the sense that she is just as equal in the workforce, bringing in just as much money, and so has higher expectations of what she needs from her mate. But what about his needs? Well, there are his needs too. Well, what are you talking about? Like, what? What are you Any talking about? Any need, you know. I mean, as long as it's being expressed, and uh, and you know that that's part of the conversation. It can't yes. just be about one person's needs. Of course not. Of course not. But I have to say, just from experience, I have found that men's needs are simpler than women's needs. What are you saying? I'm just saying they're simpler. They're they're less. Um, maybe they have less expectations even for themselves they tend to be satisfied uh with things that women may not be satisfied with hmm. so somewhere we there's some learning that has to be discussed here and expectations and understanding that you know from the each other's gender we need to understand each other to know that it isn't a dissing of one but more of well you know maybe i don't have those needs so it's hard for me to understand your needs but it doesn't mean i can't you know but we have to talk about it so if it comes off the rails and you want to feel real icky for a second because i want to hear the doctor react to this you know vince gill vince gill's a decent guy he's a great guy vince, country singer sings a great song Sings from the heart, married to a great woman. Amy Grant. And it didn't work out. Oh, no, originally. Uh, yeah. Right. Didn't work out. He's gone to other... But his fan... Listen to this. This is a Vince Gill and a fan. Vince Gill, what in the world are you doing out here? More importantly... I just came to see what hate looked like. Well, more importantly, what no, are you doing with another man's wife? I came out to see what hatred really looked Don't like you know in the face. know that divorce plus remarriage equals adultery? Jesus Christ you said that. that you Lucky Jesus Christ you don't said have that. A sign that says something about my wife. Jesus Christ said that. Did he? You know yeah. what else he said? He, he said, said a lot of stuff about forgiveness, about grace. You guys don't have any of it. Yeah, but how are you going to get over that big hurdle that's in front of you? I'll tell you. Seeing you on TV, man. You're a big dip. <laughs> 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 is that ugly or what? Sunday. John, sorry, we're fading down now. Uh, protest outside of Vince Gill's concert in Kansas City. Uh, they tried to give him a hard time, uh, people, about divorcing his ex-wife uh, to marry Amy Grant uh, because it's a sin to Jesus. Uh, but he, he wasn't having any of it. He's trying to throw back. And it's just amazing when people get into this. Yeah. It's right. What's even more amazing is that he divorced that wife back in 1998 <laughs> and married Amy Grant in the year 2000. <laughs> this is 2013. This is, you know, it's been 13 years. I guess that sin just never goes away. Well, I guess from the religious perspective or that that religious perspective, you know, where divorce isn't even acceptable, of course, but Yeah. This is um wow. this is what a cringe sounds like, right, Dr. Lori? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you got it. You can see my facial expression. <laughs> yes, I can feel it. You can certainly feel it. You'll be back tonight? I will be back tonight. After answering. the president speaks? Oh, what time's the president speak? I guess. Oh, really? Then, then right after. Right. President, nice. president, then sex. Look at that. <laughs> Don't they go? Politics and sex, they go. There you go. <laughs> Dr. Lori Batito. She'll be here every Tuesday afternoon on Rick and Suzanne, and you'll hear her again tonight on Passions at 10 o'clock. Thanks, Lori. Listen to The Rick and Suzanne Show live weekdays 1 to 3 on CJAD 800 and at CJAD.com.